Welcome to Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Get ready. We're about to live in your head rent-free. Hello, Otterites. This is episode 184. I am Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. All right, gentlemen, I'm sitting in the captain's chair or uh, the captain's couch today. Uh, we are here at Studio F. Indeed. Yes. Indeed. Johnny's yes. Game Room. Johnny's Game Room, just down the hall from the portal to the negative zone. That's right. Good yeah. thing that you can't smell over a podcast. You that never know. That is true. That is so. quite true. Because when a nihilist goes, he goes. That's correct. That's right. So today, it's a hoopajou. This is one uh, that I suggested we do. We actually got to one I suggested. This is amazing. This is a banner day, gentlemen. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, okay. The sarcasm filter is now off. That's right. That's it. Well, so no, we, that's not I was going to say, we don't have one of those. Out of 184, he suggested one topic, and that's of course right. we're doing it. Yes, yeah. Right. Uh, yes, yeah I, 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 I'm teasing Robert a little bit here. <laughs> well, compared to the number of ones that are special episodes that we indulged Francis or Martin with, yeah, yeah, one out of 184 <laughs> sounds about right. Uh-huh. That's, that's about, yeah. <laughs> Uh, you so, know, I think he's got the drop on his text. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, yes, the, the the proof is in the record. Just go listen to all 184 episodes, somebody in, in our wonderful listeners, Otterites, and tell us, send us an email at uh, robert at snakesandotters.com, because you want to send it to me, because if you send it to them, we'll never hear about it. Yeah. Uh, and we'll, we'll figure out uh, what the ratio is. Anyway, so we're doing a hoop a hoop a As you know, uh, listeners, we have changed the format. We are no longer weekly. Uh, so we are doing uh, the, the second and fourth Fridays of the month, and occasionally we'll drop in a hoop a yeah. uh, Because of weather and other issues, we ended up having to record, because we are supposed to go a couple of days ago. Yes, this hoop should have come out December 30th. 30th. Um, yeah. Because that would be the fifth Friday of the month. So we're still keeping it the fifth Friday. Yes. Um, or whenever we feel yes. like it. It's a touch late, but you know it's not as worrisome as you know a teenage girl that's a touch late. Exactly. Never oh, that okay. <laughs> yeah, all right. Then. Or a full-grown woman whose husband is away for the last six months. And who is a touch late? And is a touch late. Yes. Uh, you're working on it. Good. Yeah. Don't give up your day job, guys. Yeah. Let's, 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 let's skip a bit, brother. Let's move uh, on. Would that I could give up my day job and devote my time to, to things that uh, interest me. Like writing. Like writing. There you go. Yeah, see? <laughs> nice segue That's there. exactly the way. We tease them up. We pitches them right over the plate. Come on. Well, well done, Centurion. So, That's right. uh, this is you. It's on writing. And it's one that I've been wanting to do for a while because, uh, you know, we are all now in the midst of various projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, Martin has finally uh, got his fingers off his butt. Wait, that didn't come out right. Uh, Mar- gotten off off his okay, butt Jack his Aubrey. Fingers, uh, <laughs> on the keyboard and is working. And he's uh, nearly thirty thousand words in, right? Give or take a yeah, little. Yeah, about twenty-eight. Twenty-eight. Thirty thousand sounds so much yeah. better. <laughs> yeah, twenty-eight thousand six homicides and a kidnapping. Oh well, there you go. Yeah, that's right. Uh, a crime novel, we should say. Yes, yes, yes it is a crime story. Because genre does matter. Absolutely. Yes, that's you know, that's one of the things that... Uh, but all the greatest stories are love stories, according to Deadpool. Oh, <laughs> well, well. But even with Deadpool, all of the greatest love stories are still murder stories. <laughs> well, you know, you, you raise it, you know, you, you say it flippantly, but you raise a good point that if you don't have human relationships... Yeah. Uh, with tied within your fiction work, 
they're almost worthless. Well, you know, and, yeah, and, exactly. And, and, and romance is the number silence. one. I mean, yeah. my God, you know how much, how many billions of dollars the romance oh, yeah, genre that is makes? The biggest money. It's the biggest movie. number one. Everybody reads it. Everybody loves it. Even though nobody apparently admits to it. Well, women do. Women do. That's right. Yeah. Because it's, uh, but it's not. It's not exclusively female. No, it's not. But just most guys that you know, they just probably don't admit. It. But the ones that do, that's fine. I don't. I to me, read what you want. Read as many books as you possibly can. Support your local author. Support mm-hmm. your you know any author you like. Absolutely. You know? Like when I when I find an author that I like and he's on uh, or she is on uh, Kindle Unlimited, yeah. I will still often buy the book because it's still cheap. Yeah. But they get more money off of the direct purchase. Sure. And so you know if I like it, yeah, okay, I'll spend the extra two or three bucks rather because Kindle Unlimited is great. You get to read a crap ton of stuff for free. Essentially, it's ten bucks a month. You can read as many books as you want, and there's everything from crime to uh, action, adventure, mm-hmm. fantasy, horror, science fiction, and romance, and any other mix you can yeah. think. If of. it's fiction, it's there, right? And it's not just self-published authors, right? You know, it is. Uh, you know, probably not as many A-listers. You know, like a Stephen King. He's not going to be in Kindle Unlimited, but he is on Scribd. Really, Scribd is about the same price, about ten bucks a month. Same deal. You can read as many as you want. There are more professionally published authors on Scribd than there are on Kindle Unlimited, but it's the same deal. And matter of fact, I think I read all the Brad Thor's on Scribd. Oh yeah, Brad Thor's Thor is uh, is excellent. Yeah, excellent. yeah. So, uh, so back to the actual writing, not just the reading. Uh, you know, we, we've all been been working very assiduously on our books. And uh, in various stages, so I've completed a couple of manuscripts. The first one of the nonfiction I ended up throwing out because I didn't like the, uh, the way it came off. Because it's, it's a nonfiction, so it came off more like uh, a bunch of blog post articles, which is great because I have a, a, a hundred or more blog posts now that <laughs> I can feed into oh, okay, there you that go. side. Okay, yeah. um, the uh, other nonfiction book is uh, in its final stages of editing. Mm-hmm. And hopefully it will be done uh, in the next month or so. And then, of course, I have the fiction book, which, as I was telling Francis uh, at a funeral we were at last month, uh, I ended up writing in what I thought was going to be a, a, the first book of a series. ended up being the first half of the first book and the second half of the last book of the series. Uh, because it's the, both are really good, but if I want to make it a series, the way I ended it is the perfect ending for the final book of the series yeah so uh, so you've got to tap view this and pull this apart exactly and enter some intermediate pieces yeah. and that's what I've been spending the last several weeks put the ending on a shelf until yep. whenever the time yeah, comes until one, yeah, and I'm sure it will be reworked when I get there. oh absolutely yeah um, so this is a, you're creating kind of a universe and everything with yours yes right? so yeah well Authors really do, unless you're doing true, true, uh, true crime or you know, true uh, history. Yeah, you're, you're still creating a, an entire universe. Uh, but you're you're kind of going the Frank Herbert route here. Uh, Frank Herbert, uh, you know uh, George R. R. Martin, although hopefully it will not take me as long to finish a book as it takes him. Yeah. Uh, or anybody else that does a series, you know, uh, David Weber. Uh, he's probably one of the better known for sci-fi and the, uh, uh, modern uh, authors. Uh, what is the other the the other series that you guys uh, have enjoyed that goes back a ways. Uh, Thomas Covenant? The Thomas Covenant yeah. series. Right. Yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a sword and sorcery kind of fantasy. Uh, right. Very uh, uh, Lord of the Rings-esque. Yeah. And high, he will tell you. High fantasy. Yeah. yeah. But, but it's not, but it's, but it's unique. 
You know, it's yes, not it's, very unique. It, yeah. it does not contain all the expected tropes like so much high fantasy does. Uh, it, it, they they basically they take Tolkien and and turn in a few directions. So many of them do. Yeah, it's a fish out of water story, uh, very much so. You take a modern man and you drop him into this fantasy setting, right? Yeah. And yeah, which is great. I, I love anything you take a twist on uh, something you would expect. Uh, but you were talking about genre being very important. It's one of the things that that uh, you learn once you really get into your writing and you're serious about it. Genre is the number one thing you have to figure out. That's right. You have to figure that out first. Yeah. Because if you don't, your story ultimately is going to end up, unless you're incredibly lucky or incredibly naturally gifted. And there are very few of either. Right. Because any writer worth his start will tell you, you got to work hard at this stuff. That's right. It's a job. Yeah. Now, it's a job that is one of the most satisfying things that, that you can do if you're really a writer, not just somebody who's who's working at it because they, they think they can, but maybe they you know don't really have enough raw talent or don't put enough time on their craft. Well, so many people want to have written, but, but so few want to, want to write. actually write. I mean, that's, yes. that's kind of an, uh, an old joke in, in the industry, but it's, it's very true uh, because it's one of those places where you, I mean, it requires an enormous will to learn. I mean, it's yes, very Nietzschean yes. in certain ways because you yeah. have to will your way to greatness and that requires a long, hard struggle and the willingness to uh, throw your narcissistic tendencies out the window if you want to be successful. Right. Your narcissistic narcissistic tendencies are for book marketing, not book writing. That's right. Well, uh, that's true. That's, that's, that's true. Yeah, yeah. You, you have to have some of that yeah. once you market. Yeah, but you know, you gotta you gotta apply it in the right place. So, so and we're all writing, and, and, and yeah, I'm just gonna get to Francis. Yeah, yeah. He <laughs> finishes first. Yeah, and uh, it has. I don't know how which version of the draft you sent us. But you're a few drafts into the second book. Oh, the second book's done. Are, it's the second book is essentially yeah. done, uh, and the first book is essentially done. Now that doesn't mean I don't sit back down and tighten a little bit more and. Uh, I've, I've just I went back through the first book uh, after three four months of not really touching it, and you know I was I discovered that you know I can I can make this better I can make this better I can make very little actually changed other than uh, a few I recognized one of the linchpins of that story indeed of the series that I'm doing is the relationship between the two protagonists sort of kind of uh, the female is the main if you if you've seen or watched Outlander. You recognize that Claire is the main protagonist, but Jamie is almost identical, yeah. and that relationship is what keeps people reading those books. I'm playing off that same thing: is that the two, the relationship between these two characters uh, together is what propels the story forward. Of course, that means that, you know they, as things happen and they, they get separated, try to get back together, you know, all sorts of different things like that, because it's a it's a thriller. They're thrillers. Yeah. Right, Action. so we've, we've got three different genres going here. I took the stab at crime, and you're kind of doing the high fantasy style. No, 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 no mine's not high fantasy. Uh, mine is, uh, it's a supernatural thriller. Supernatural right? thriller. Is okay. the way I would put it, because it is definitely supernatural, but it is in a modern setting. It's not werewolves and vampires, so it's not straight horror the way we right. would normally think. Yeah. There's no zombies, not yet. That's a different book series I have planned. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, I would call it a supernatural thriller with a bit of a psychological thriller uh, thrown in. Thrown in. Cool. Right. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, you have a little bit of a Thomas Harris influence in there. 
little little silence of the lambs maybe going on a bit yeah with that super, from a supernatural perspective yeah yeah and yeah there's definitely some mental and psychological torture that that goes on in in this book okay mm-hmm. and then Francis has kind of your great thriller espionage thriller is probably thriller is yeah Ian I'm, Fleming Brad Thorne yeah I would I would if you want to know who yeah. I I don't want to say idolized, but who I really like the best because you're right; those names are are classics. Those are, you know, they. Uh, I mean, Fleming started the genre for God's sakes. Yeah. But I do not want to to be that. So many of those types are very cookie cutter, and I don't want to be that. Uh, mine is more. It is a thriller, which is a broad meta yes. genre. But there are many subs yes. underneath that. Every broad genre has its its subs. Right. Because really, what you were I was saying when you were just talking about uh, the book, yeah, and the series, you were describing a thriller. You were describing a romance series. Oh, it's there's there's which is kind of leads me to one of my points. I want to make sure I make is, and you'll get this if you read enough advice on writing, is that. Melding romance into whatever you're writing is a win-win. Yes. People want that. They read that. That enables them to hook to your characters. Having an it element of that. Audience too. That's correct. Because you know you, you got about, to have it. When you think about the the genre that you are, you know, your overarching drama uh, genre, uh-huh. it's a male-dominated readership. Correct. And I I want to subvert that a little bit. Right. Right. And you know, which is a good thing. I think that you know, drawing as many people, obviously. You know, one of the, the big pieces of advice that writers will give you uh, is to come up with who you're writing for. Stephen King talks about it uh, in On Writing, uh, which uh, which I, I got the, the, the guy's physical copies. I think Francis had an electronic copy. I did, yes. That's right. uh, but honestly, I think books on writing need to be books. Uh, yeah, I really do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. you know, I, fiction, I like electronic, but for things I want to ponder, I like physical copies. Uh, that's why I like my history. Uh, my uh, my individual biographies, yeah. uh, things like that. My theology. Yeah. I like physical books, mm-hmm. but for the for the mind candy, the fiction, which is what I think of it as, that that's electronic because I can pick that and read it anywhere. I don't need to ponder that. I don't have to have the time. But anyways, um, you know, you have to know who your audience is, and often they will tell you figure out one person you're writing for. It doesn't have to be a real person. It can be. But figure out who that is. So in a way, you know, you, you, with Francis, uh, you're kind of turning that on your ear because if you want to make it appealable to to both, you know, you're not necessarily writing for two people. No. But it, it's a uh, you know you. It, it's not to say when you write for one, you're only writing for one gender or the other. But, no, you know, no, it shouldn't be. You generally have uh, you know Sean Coyne calls it Sam, a single audience member. Mm-hmm. That is who you're writing for is the target. Now he takes a little bit differently because you know like in first person yours is first person right uh, Martin no no you're writing third person I'm sorry I'm thinking first person because a lot of crime is first person that's what I was thinking uh, and a lot of times that first person is, is intended to be written to somebody uh, so like with uh, young adult fiction is primarily yes. is, is, is first person uh, so like Often female. Sherlock Holmes Watson is the author He's the one telling the story. It's all coming from his perspective. Exactly. Yes. And he's telling somebody about it. Well, who he's telling it is that, that person you're writing for mm-hmm. uh, in that sense. So, you know, that's it's important to keep that in mind. So genre and who you're writing for is very, very important. Genre is important because you got to know what goes in the damn book. Absolutely. 
Yeah, uh, if you read my book, every guy that reads it will absolutely get what's expected from the genre. It, it's it's, right. it's perfectly in there. Uh, sometimes that comes from a female, but it is not the you know female who's been masculinized. You know, there. Right. And yes, the females in your book are very feminine. That's great. And that's that's they they are as far as the protagonists go. You know, they are very feminine. They are very much so individuals. They are and not stereotypes. Not at all. And, and they're strong. Strong character. It's right. Without being that stereotypical strong character, which is basically uh, masculinizing a woman. Right. It's not that at all. Well, and, you know, strong female leads, that's where the money's at. That's correct. Uh, that's that's part of it. I just thought that this is an untapped thing. Why can't you take this type of a thriller and have the, the lead be? And uh, and Diana Gabaldon with, uh, with Outlander told me, showed me, you know, you can do this and do this well. I mean, right. that, well, in many respects, her reader would be my reader as well. It's just a different genre. Hers is more historical. Right. Uh, but this well, is it, yeah, well, historical as far as different time periods. Obviously, yours is written that's in true. A year old time period. It, as well. it is set in a specific time and place. Yeah. That is yours. You're anchored specifically in the 1990s. Right. Yes. Which is fine. That, you know, to us, that doesn't seem like it's a historical period, but for a lot of our listeners, it might be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you think uh, 1993 is now, holy crap, 30 years ago. Right. 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 Well, let's put it this way. We are just as far from 1993 as 1993 is from the assassination of Kennedy. Yes. yes. Okay, yes. now that I feel old. Right. Although none of us were alive then, so I don't feel quite that old. Correct. But, yeah. Uh, so yeah, genre's important. Uh, and these are the kind of things that I love about writing is it's not just sitting down and spewing a bunch of words on the paper or screen. Uh, yeah. it, it, it's not. It's got to be more than that. Right. If you're going to do it, you need to take it seriously. You know, we talk all the time about craft on this yes, show. Yes, that's right. And writing, I think, is one of those things where craft is so underestimated by those who would like to have written, uh, but don't want to write. Well, they don't. Re- yeah, they don't recognize the, the the craft and the the art that goes into this. Uh, they really don't. They think that any hack can sit down and just spew stuff out. Well, that is true in a literal sense. Uh, it's also uh, nobody wants to read that. Uh, nobody wants to read anything. I mean. Uh, whether that be literary fiction or, I mean, we're just talking fiction here, but uh, whether it be literary fiction or commercial fiction, uh, narcissism, there's no place for that. Well, I don't even think it's always even uh, narcissism. It's just that uh, lack of the willingness to put in the work uh, to, to learn. Because, you know, I'm not going to go and hire somebody to do remodeling in my house that hasn't taken the time to learn how to actually do it. Right. I don't want to, you know, hire somebody that has just watched a bunch of YouTube videos. You know, that's what I do. Right, yeah. <laughs> but if I want it done right, I want somebody who's actually done the work. Right. Who's actually if, put if the you, time and effort. If in. you're wanting to actually, and we'll use commercial fiction for, for lack of a better term, if you want somebody to buy your books, you better be able to fit within the conventions of the craft. Right. Uh, of what people expect. And believe it or not, there is that. I mean, uh, a good story... Uh, some people may bemoan, oh, well, you know, stories all sound the same, blah, blah, blah. Well, there is a truth to that because we're wired to respond certain ways to them. Right. If you want somebody to buy them. That, I don't know a whole lot. I've heard a whole lot of people complain about that. Now, they might complain about that from certain authors, definitely. That's, yeah, formula, formulaic. And, uh, if but you, if you, if the stories you, are formulaic. Well, that's, that's correct. If you zoom out far enough, they all are formulaic. Yes. And, and they have to be. Otherwise... 
they're not interesting. Well, you know, well, let's let's talk about let's, let's get down to the mechanics here. Sorry, let's let's talk about what a story is. So obviously, any good story is going to have a beginning, middle, and end. That's obvious. Yeah. But even more granular, you know, you've got your inciting incident. What kicks off the story? What is that? Thing that kicks off the conflict because that's the other thing a lot of people don't understand. Oh, that story has to have conflict. Huge. That's huge. You don't get to sit around Even and romance, especially romance. That's right. Absolutely. Has to have conflict. Yeah. And a lot of the a lot of the complaints that I hear about that because the romance industry because it's the biggest it is extremely formulaic in those stories. You have to have it where these things here happen. And if you read a lot of those, you might say, well, this is the same story, just changing things around. But that's what people want. Well, people people keep going back to that. They don't say that. They say, oh, bring it on. Bring but they it like on. the differences, though. That's correct. You have that's, to. That's what's important. But it, it, to prove that that point is true, look at the Hallmark Channel. That's correct. You know, you know, Christmas is the obvious time when you think about all of those, but they do non-Christmas Hallmark movies. But they're all the same thing. You know, some some woman, big city girl or small town girl. Meets this guy who's either from you know from the other place. The other She's place. big city. He's small town. Right. Uh, you know, it's very very rare that they're both small town or both big city. Yeah. Uh, and they meet, and they're initially one of them is destined for somebody else. And when they come together, they they realize, oh well, you know, he's pretty interesting. Yeah. And they think, oh, we're kind of interested in each other. And then there's something that sends them apart. Mm-hmm. And then eventually they come back together, and they realize, oh yes, you're my true love. And there's one kiss. There's only ever one kiss in a Hallmark movie. And that's at the, at the end. end. Yeah. Because you got to have that. Lover's first kiss is an important trope that goes into a romance uh, story. But look at how many different versions of those movies there are. Mm-hmm. And it's not just the Hallmark Channel anymore. There's the uh, Great American, whatever it is, uh, that uh, Candace Cameron Bury is, is now moved over to. She's doing a specific type, you know, right. the... the uh, Traditional oh. marriage. Francis, you got any Pepto around here? Yeah, well, you know, I understand you don't like these, but you're these are great examples. But they, they're proving the point, though, <laughs> that each genre yeah. oh, is yeah. important and it's got its tropes. Trope has a bad name. That's right. It, but but it, it's not. A trope is simply the, what is expected out of the genre. That's right. You avoid you you discard those at your peril. You do. That's now, right. You use the cliched ones at your peril. That's correct. But that's there right. are core tropes that go with every. And it has to be. Na- it has to. And if you write well, it, you're doing it where it seems natural. Yes. That's that's where you. Because see if that. we think about it, a trope is simply nothing more than you know, it's it's a single part of everyday life. Mm-hmm. It's just that in a particular yeah. kind of story, it's amplified. Yeah, I mean, yeah, ca- I, ca- ca- occurs. That's yeah, that's yes. that's the story yeah, of how it events, works. Yeah, and that's what makes the story interesting. Events have to happen. Right. right. Ah, but any and to to slide into character just slightly, any book that is simply a matter of crap happening, out, external stuff happening right. to a character, over and over and over again, it, how it, the character responds. Well, to yeah, those is is really it's very weak. It's very diluted because there's no agency on the character. The, well, yeah. I mean, well, there's a difference between agency and change. 
for the character. Well, that's correct. So, yeah. for instance, in the thriller genre that you you are essentially writing, you know, although we might call it romantic thriller if we want, but yeah, there because there's that romance aspect of it. But, there was, but, but historical thriller. I still yes. call it a historical. Well, thriller. espionage thriller is really. It's a more. thriller that's set in historical time because yeah. because we had this discussion once about whether he's writing a historical novel that also happens to be a thriller. Or a thriller with a historical setting, and it's the it's latter. It's a thriller with an historical setting. That's yeah. right. And yeah, to be honest, I agree. Yeah. now the first book in particular is very tightly tied to that because it takes place during specific historical events. The second, not at all. Right. Uh, so it's really well, it sort of does, but not. It, it not does very lightly. So it, that's more background than foreground. First book is very, very definitely foreground. But yeah, because it literally takes place during specific events. That's why you have dates and timestamps put through there in order right. to make sure everything makes well, sense. Well, dates and timestamps, you know, that's a since we're talking, since you brought that up, yeah, that is a great mechanism though for filling in the reader things that you don't necessarily want to have to spend That's right. twenty pages spending time on. You know, London, you know, September twenty third, eighteen eighty seven. Mm-hmm. Oh well, this might be a Jack the Ripper story, right? You know, that and immediately your mind fills in a. Crap ton of blanks. That's correct. That's right. You know? That's and that's just a shorthand for working. Yeah. To working so through let things. Me, let me press you a little bit on the on that because I, I want to draw you out on that. So some of your events have to be driven by the characters. Yes. But not necessarily all events. That 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 is probably the best that, way to do that. Yeah. How to because meld those pieces together? You will read. Uh, online, a lot of folks that just that absolutely savage the the concept of external events moving the story along, because it says it the, the the because that doesn't that the character doesn't change. It, they might, but the internal change is is makes is something that's well, more more yeah. out there. But I'm not necessarily the, saying this, this is truth. I'm saying this yeah. is common that, yeah. that, that, that this well, is being but said. Can, but I think 99 percent of the time, though. That's a good criticism because if your characters yeah. don't change, especially protagonists, that's right. But if your characters don't change, your your story is almost always flawed. Now, I will give you an example where that is uh, <laughs> the exception to the rule. Mm-hmm. So, have you seen the uh, the movie The Martian? Yes. Okay. So that is a character Mark Watney, who is stranded on Mars accidentally. Yeah. Uh-huh. They think he's dead. He's not. All right. And that book is about the mechanics of his... And it's also a movie. Uh, it, it is about the mechanics of his survival. He does not change. He's the same guy in the beginning as he is at the end, with one minor exception, yeah. is that he's never going into space again. <laughs> you know, which, you know, it doesn't say that, but I think that's pretty much understood. Right. Yeah, he's never leaving the planet again. I'm done, yeah. yeah. But other than that, he has not changed. Sure. Now, that's rare. It is rare. And that is, so, you know... It, it, to talk about the exception, you almost have to, to make a big deal about it being the exception. Your characters sure. well, have to change. There are Something there are some. There that are, doesn't mean. Let me. Let, yeah, finish. go ahead. So it doesn't mean that the external events can't drive part of the story, but the part of the story that matters is how your characters respond right. to the right. events. Right. That is because correct. that's how your first book has to be understood and and has to be written from is how the characters respond to the events now they can also affect the events because as you know as we went back and forth about how to make your book yeah better uh you know one particular change you had your characters interact with the external event and that change made the external event relevant 
to the story because that's part of the problem. A lot of times external events, especially in things that are historical or things that the author just thinks is cool, have absolutely no bearing on what the main story is. Yeah. And that's what ultimately we fixed with what you were doing in your book. Right. Because you had a lot of stuff that wasn't really relevant to the journey the characters were on. But you fixed it by making it relevant or cutting it if it didn't need to be there. Right. And fixed it tremendously. Yes. I yes. Mean, for what we've seen, and I'm anxious to uh, you know, see a final edited, printed version of this, um, you wove that stuff together tremendously. Well, yes. it takes time. It was my, it was, as, as Sulu would say, actually, it was my first attempt. So uh, it, it, it works. You have to learn these things on the right. ground as right. it takes. And I'm, yeah. I'm benefiting from what the two of you all have been through. Uh, writing the second book was a cakewalk to, compared yeah, to the first because I'd learned so much. Own, but I, I'm attempting to do that same thing. Yeah. Have most of the events driven by the characters, but at the same time recognizing... Like you said, sometimes weird shit just happens. Well, and, 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 and to be and honest, it's out of the blue, and what well, do you do with that? The blend is probably make, the, the yeah. sweet spot. Well, yeah, yeah it is. How do you, you make the characters then respond to this out yeah. of the blue event that they didn't have any control over? Well, if you make everything specifically, all of the conflict come entirely from the characters and the characters' interaction, on the surface that sounds like good advice, but it's not. Because you run the risk of having everything come off as a whiny-ass soap opera. Yeah. And you don't want that. Yeah. So the external events are also important. So, you know, if you're talking about crime... It realism, too. Well, it changes scope, too. Right. Real stuff happens to people in the real world. Well, and the more you want your story rooted in reality... Exactly. Well, with depends crime, on that, that's genre dependent. Romance yeah, yeah, does not well, apply. No, I think mean, you're talking about reality as in um, the way characters would behave and react. That's correct. That's right. Yeah. Because yeah, so yeah, yeah, right. even in fantasy, they've got to behave and react in ways that you're gonna, they're going to come off as authentic. authentic. Right. Recognizable. Yes. And, so, and true to that character. And true to that character. Yeah. That, and that's the authentic part. Uh, so, yeah, in, in crime, that's a great example of external events have to drive part of the story. Mm-hmm. Because that's the whole point. An that's external it. event has happened. That's right. Unless it's a revenge tale. But even then, it's usually an external event has happened to somebody that... The, that uh, Previously, yeah. yeah. Previously, it has happened to the character's loved ones. You know, think uh, Charles Bronson and... Um, uh, Deathwish. Deathwish, thank yeah. you. You know, that's a great example of the external event drives the revenge of this character. Yeah. And, you know, that... You know, so, again, you got to have a balance... You know, it can't all just be, you know, whiny-ass people pining for somebody else or whatever. Uh, it's, there's got to be something else that goes on that really makes it have that realism. Yeah. So that, that's a lot of me. The, yeah. Uh, so I want to press you on another question. Sure. Two of you guys. But I think at 30 minutes in, let's do our bourbon break. Let's, oh, boy, we got a great bourbon break for you. What's your question first? Let's tease the audience. Ah. Uh, I want to ask you guys about dialogue. Dialogue is ah. a big part of what I'm working on. And I've got, you know, of course, cops talk one way, street people talk another way, and I want to try to capture authentic dialogue. So I want to ask you guys about dialogue. Oh, excellent. Yeah. excellent. Yeah. So, yes, that is a great way to say, all right, audience, think about that for a minute, and now we're going to do bourbon break. So, two days ago, on Saturday... We went to the Fraser History Museum here in town. 
Yep. Yes. Which has been through many transformations. It has. It started as the Fraser Historical Arms Museum, uh, which was just phenomenal. Oh my oh, gosh! Absolutely. Yeah. Because a lot of history really is tied up with wars. You know, yeah, wars are one so. of the biggest. Firearms, yeah. yeah, it's one of the biggest. Well, it wasn't even just firearms. There, we had swords and uh, cannons and you know bows and arrows. I mean, everything. Uh, and, and you know, then it changed into more general history, and now it's specifically Kentucky history. Yes. Which, of course, when you think of Kentucky history, you know, outside of Kentucky, you're going to think of, well, there's Daniel Boone, and there's the Wilderness Trail, if you're really into history. But if you're in Kentucky, you're going to think, oh, well, let's talk bourbon. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And the so entire third floor. Yeah, the whole third floor is no longer that Royal Armories that had to send all that back to Britain. Um, that stuff, the Fraser was the only place outside the British Isles that Royal Armory stuff had ever been displayed. Right. Which was a huge feather in their cap. Yeah. So that's all been returned, and now the third floor has been pretty much transformed into a, a bourbon thing. Yes. A bourbon experience. The, the Fraser is the first official stop on the Bourbon Trail now. Mm-hmm. And the Bourbon Trail, for those of you who don't know it, is uh, basically a list of distilleries that you would go and visit. And you've got a little passport, and you get a stamp at every distillery. And the goal is to fill it up. Yeah, so it's to take the tours, uh, yep. distillery tours, and, and do it. So Robert had arranged for us to not only visit the Fraser, but to do the bourbon experience tasting, uh, which... So awesome in that it was a, like a limited audience. There's about yes. fifty people in a room. Yeah, there was and, a dozen. But uh, yeah, a dozen people and two of ours didn't even show up. Right, which, which is to our benefit because <laughs> we consumed and, what and they had. A bourbon ambassador. So Sam, an employee of the Fraser, who's a bourbon ambassador. Big shout out to Sam. Yeah, yeah, he did a great job. What yeah. a great presentation he did. And then we got to try. Three bourbons. Three bourbons. Uh, larceny. Larceny. Which we've talked about on the show before. We have before. featured before, yes. Great bourbon. Russell Reserve 10-year-old. Which we yes. have we have had that before. I don't think we've had that yet. Yes, year. we did because it was given to me for a Christmas present two years ago and we we consumed it that all. That Russell, really, that 10-year? That was the one. I, mean, I do yes, not remember doing that because uh, yes, I, but anyways, I, my daughter's got, my eldest spawn got me that for uh, for Christmas this year. Yeah. So I have a bottle unopened sitting well, at home. Well, two years ago, my middle spawn gave me that one, and we did sample it here on yes. the program. And I've, had, I've had it in the past, and I like it. Uh, it's the Larceny was more of a wheat. Yes. Uh, Russell was more of a rye. Well, so instead it, it had a hint of rye, I, it's a very small hint. Yes. yes. A very and then our third one was more of a high-end, was the Old Forester... 1920 Prohibition style. Yeah. Which 115 have, proof. Which we have raved about That's way on it's, this program. It's, it's down the hall. I mean, it's, yes. it's on my shelf, uh, yeah. I find it an awesome, awesome, super complex, tons of flavor. This, all this great stuff comes out of it. And we just absolutely loved it. And another huge feature, again, there was only 10 people in this group. Next to us was uh, a young woman from, of all places, New York City. Right. Who was house slash cat city for someone here in town who's on a ski vacation. Yeah. It's and, kind of like the reverse of a uh, 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 of the B&B. Yeah. Where, you know, you find people who need you to come in and, and keep an eye on their place. Right. And, and she, of course, is like a part of some agency that does this, had to be... Bonded or you know yeah, background sure, yeah. check and all this stuff, but that's what she does. She she travels the country 
house sitting for people, and she does things in the town uh, where she's staying. And she's a big lover of bourbon, so yeah, she, yeah, you know, so she yeah. came yeah, here. She so hear all about cocktails and New York, uh, you know, what they drink in New York. Old Fashions is what she was... Uh, yeah, she likes the Old Fashions. Yeah, yeah. Right. So she wanted to experience some bourbon, and she was just a hoot. She was, an absolute, yeah. And we, we told her all about the podcast... And we told her she was going to get a shout out this yes. episode. So her nickname, obviously we don't use real we, we real right. names. We use nom de pods, as, as Martin likes to call it. Uh, her her nickname is Spraga. Uh, so, you know, shout out to Spraga. That's you, right. Hope you know, you're listening. Very entertaining uh, young woman to talk to. And, you know, she she really enjoyed talking about the bourbon. Yeah. That was nice. Yeah. Spraga at NYC. Um, you know, the shout out to you. She's going to listen to the episodes. Uh, and just... Uh, she was just a hoot, man. She had a great time, yeah, and uh, she felt very welcomed in, in a little while. I think she really enjoyed it. My favorite moment, though, was the "What the f is Verner's?" <laughs> this is so, true. I mean, that's how wide ranging the discussion we got. We talk about soft drinks and and what bourbons. you mix with bourbons, yeah. whether or not it's appropriate or not. And, yeah, and then uh, she wanted to know all about Ale Eight One. That's right, which is yes, local. So that's a local lo- thing, locally yeah. made here. Yeah, and, uh, of course, uh, you know, being from Michigan, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm big on the Verners. That's the uh, uh, original ginger soda. Yeah, not ginger ale, ginger soda. soda yes, and so, uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, even after the other crew had left, there's some folks there from South Carolina and uh, another local fella. They had all left. The four of us still were sitting there, and like Sam's like, "Okay, well we're done, guys." <laughs> so we're still sitting there. Yeah, he's uh, like, yeah, "Yeah, everything's locked." He's like, "Yeah, just just you know, shut the door on your way out." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but speaking of bourbon, though, what are we drinking today? Oh yes, uh, so I got some of your. Uh, uh, show me the the bottle there. It is the uh, old Bard Sam. That's, that's what I'm drinking. It's a Weller too. family bottle. Uh-huh. And it's bottled and bond. As, you know, we talked to, about that. Uh, Sam did a great job explaining that. Yeah. Yeah. Will it distillery? Yes, is where it the comes from. Bottled and Bond Act of 1897 is yes. where it comes from. And it's uh, a set of regulations about purity and purity consistency. And sealing it up yeah. and consistency. So, Which we heard all about on our Yeah, on, yeah. and on he did a great job because he, he nailed it. He yeah. absolutely mm-hmm. nailed why it was a thing. So this is, um, uh, you know, Bottled and Bond, generally you don't see a whole lot on bottles anymore. Uh, surprisingly, but right. um, you know it's it, it's got a specific legal definition it has to meet, and this is a pretty good bourbon. You know, like many bourbons, uh, straight out of the bottle is uh, you know perhaps a little harsher. Hundred proof, and it's hundred proof. Yeah, that yeah. you know I picked that specifically because it was the the hundred proof. Yeah, the um, uh, what was the other one that was up there? Uh, we had the wild turkey. No, there. there's a third. Oh, the McKenna. The McKenna. McKenna. That was eighty proof. So you know, it's, yeah, uh, which we not that I don't necessarily like eighty proof. But I like ice in mine, so that tends to, to water it down even more. Yeah, if you're going to go neat, the lower proofs are better. Exactly. Uh, and I, I like ice, you know, as we've talked about many times. I right. like ice And in therefore, mine. a higher proof is better. And yes. we discussed that with Sam. We used our term for it, and he liked it. Yeah. He liked yeah. our term blooming. Yes. Yeah, he, he had some great, great uh, advice on how to go about bourbon tasting. It was, mm-hmm. it was really wonderful. But So this uh, old, uh, was Old Barstown. Uh, old Barstown, that's Barstown, right. Old Barstown, yes. So, uh, you know, once you get that water in there to, to, to have that flavor bloom, as we called it, yeah. uh, really smooths it out and, and gives you a yeah. nice... The fine folks at Willet do a really good job. This is their lower-priced bourbon. This, yeah, 18? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is this is not... They have, they have some really high-end stuff. 
uh, out there on, on from yeah. from there. This is not that. This is the standard everyday basic, basic yeah. hundred proof, but it is extremely popular. It's an yes. old brand. It's been it around is, for yeah. a long time. That they I, I don't know if Willet always owned it, but they Probably certainly. Not. Uh, well, it's been around a while, surprisingly. Well, they have, yes, but you know, uh, it's one of those things where uh, names and almost nobody has a, a bourbon that has been their bourbon forever. Well, uh, Old Forester, Heaven Hill, few, definitely. Yeah. Well, but compared to the total, well, that's correct. There's because almost nobody has because a lot of those old brands. And we saw that at, at the museum. You can see these old, old, old bottles uh, of brands that we have not necessarily heard of or have made a comeback because somebody owned that brand yeah, and right. they and they had, you, it had to sell it which is which as we talked about the irony of it the uh the jw dant brand which we've not featured on the show uh was sold to heaven hill by the dant family my grandfather actually worked for them back in the 40s yes. every time we had one come up in discussion during the tours oh my grandfather my father worked for them. my great 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 grandfather worked for that or, or that was up that. there was some of that more, yes more than that more than that francis was correcting the historical notes. Well, I was. That yes, you really do need awesome. to get a hold of them. And, and that is correct. They uh, they made uh, a couple of blunders in some of their historical. Well, more uh, than a couple. Yeah, there are quite. I mean, probably half dozen that, that you talked about. Uh, yeah, stages of. Well, one of which. Severity. Yeah, one of which was my. Uh, I guess he's my fifth or sixth great grandfather. Uh, they spoke of him, uh, last name Boone, Walter Boone. He was the original. Yes, this is the most egregious. The, the original. Uh, 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 Migrant from Maryland down here, and they and they said he was a cousin of Daniel Boone. And I'm thinking, all of us who have been into genealogy would absolutely smack you on that because we have been trying to prove or disprove that for a long, long time. Uh, and there is no proof other than unless someone has done a DNA, which would be an interesting thing to do. But well, Walt, certainly possible nowadays. Oh yeah, and, and not to say that they weren't related, perhaps further back, but they were not cousins. Not in the sense we think of cousins. Even back then, where cousins might have been third or fourth or fifth. That's right. Small communities, and they, you know. Daniel Boone was a Pennsylvania Quaker. Right. And we're about Walter, Walter Boone were Maryland Catholics. Ne'er the twain shall meet. They, they were they were totally different, separate branches. If they if they met further back, maybe, and I suppose technically you could say, well, of course that means cousin. Well, everybody's a cousin. Well, if that's you want to go right. Far enough back. Uh, I, I just think it was kind of uh, it was almost like a, a virtue, uh, celebrity signaling. I right. didn't like the, it. Was, don't do that. Yeah, that, that's you, a that, It is a. Yeah. Uh, if you want to do that, you best prove it to me because trust me, I've got yeah, the proof. Yeah, where's the that, citation? Where's yeah? Where's where's that proof? Because those of us in the family who do this, and if you're from where I'm from, everybody does it. it well, it that's great. It's never been being Catholic. Nothing been done. Is the church has all your records? <laughs> many, many. But uh, fortunately, from the area where this comes from, uh, you've got records back to 1785. Right. And uh, the the courthouses didn't burn, although Marion County's actually did. Right. Thank you, Confederates. So, anyways, uh, that's the the old Bardstown. That's Let, correct. Let's let's get to Mark, oh. in which you also have, right? No, no, I'm drinking. I'm drinking old Bardstown. Old Bardstown. Yeah, drinking, yeah. yeah. Uh, we finished that bottle off. Yes. Yes. So, but you didn't really talk about. It. I, I, I get a hint. Uh, I, I get a very sweet flavor from the. Uh, uh, I do. Once the water yeah. is. I'm, uh, I'm is having it over ice, although the ice is melted yes, right the now. Yes, ice is and melted. It, it's, but it's, it's really good. It's, yeah, it's still it, chilled. Still got still chilled. Chill, but yeah, it, it's, it's definitely there is a sweet flavor to it. Uh, I get a lot of really my, up in my mouth. Uh, mild on the kiss is on the tongue and on the mouth. You're exactly right. Even hint up into the nasal passage. Yes. So, Martin, you've got the wild turkey, right? I've got wild turkey 101, uh, which I have not had. 
Uh, and I just finished off. Uh, You've never had that? Not the one on one. Um, I was going to say because my regular wild turkey is one of my favorites, but uh, the one on one I have not had a chance to try. I was going to say because I thought we'd done that one before because the bottle's empty, boys. Now, unless well, my youngest I, spawn has uh, has slipped it, with, and I didn't get a chance to try it, that is always that possible. Is possible. That yes. is possible because we vary. You, you know, you've had some of it or something, but I didn't get to because I was nervous. drinking yeah, something else. I, I remember. Yeah, I think I've had it, but uh, you know, we we one thing we realized when we were there in the the room that is the wall of bourbons. Yeah, which is just oh my god, that is just so. Wonderful. Which took us fifteen minutes to figure out it was alphabetical. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, we uh, were just kind but, of in awe. Yeah, but we realized how many bourbons we've actually tried. Yeah, and, and how we, many we haven't, too. And how many we haven't. But, yeah. you know, really, we've tried a lot more than I thought. Yes. Uh, and quite a broad yes. uh, range as well, from inexpensive to mid-range. Yes, uh, yeah, yeah. that's one of the things that uh, we did help educate Sprague on, which was that just because a bourbon is inexpensive does not mean it's a bad bourbon. Yeah, I told her, don't be afraid of, of a 15 or $20 bourbon. Get get the Wild Turkey, get the Evan Williams. The they're Four Roses. Good. Yeah, Very Old Barton. They're all, they're all fine. Had the Larceny. Yeah, because uh, Larceny's not, it, it's a little bit above that, but it's still not. like a $35, $40 bottle. No, Larceny's twenty four bucks. Yeah, yeah, Larceny's. Yeah, we got, we got, we got, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of the Mictors. We talked about the Mictors being in that mid thirties upper. 30s. Oh yeah, and there were tw- Mictors. Yeah, I think I got my Mictors at forty two. Oh, okay. The Russell is about thirty four, thirty fives. About the same price point as Basil Hayden is thirty five to thirty eight. Uh, which which could be priced higher in my opinion. Yeah. I'm glad it's not. Don't get me wrong. Right, exactly. Yeah, because that's uh, that's one of our favorites. Yeah, I mean, we told her, don't be afraid of the inexpensive bourbon. It, the, our time are great. Yeah, uh, absolutely. It's great. And, uh, and I do like the Wild Turkey 101. Um, a little spicier than regular Wild Turkey. A little bit higher rye content, which will give you the more of the pepper notes. Yeah. yeah. Less of that pear flavor, correct? Right, right. Because I know that Wild Turkey, that was one of the things that we pulled out of that that was unique and really nice. Yeah. But it's regular not. It's less here. here. pear and vanilla. This will give you a little bit spicier, uh, more of a caramel. Uh, Peppery? Uh, yeah, toffee and spice. Interesting. So it, yeah. it'll, it's a little spicier, well, a little more peppery. So uh, since that bottle is empty, are you suggesting that I should repurchase? <laughs> oh, I, well, that's I entirely so. up to you. Well, I, well you know, and I'm, try, so. I'm trying to, to vary a few things, but you know, there's some favorites we have that you know that I like to keep you because know, I'm going to continue to keep Basil Hayden on the shelf. That's oh, kind of to be expected. That is and a, most of these old foresters, I, they're going to be regular. I mean, we yes. haven't tried all of them. I love them. Yeah, we've done we've done two of them uh, of of the particular brands uh, that are that are hit to a certain yeah. uh, certain year. I've yet to have an old forester I didn't really like. Yeah, that's you that's know? one of the um, very best that we've that we keep coming back to. Yeah, you know, we talked about it before. You know, the the old forester signature, which um, one of the reasons I got that was because it was supposed to have been like a poor man's pappy, uh, which you know it is very good. It's got a screw top. Yeah. You know, you don't think of a good bourbon as having a screw top, but it's a relatively inexpensive bottle. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's 100 proof, and it is really, really good, just like all of them. Sure. You know, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there is not a bad uh, old forester that we've had. Yeah, yeah. That's of all the ones that we've had. And it's nineteen ten. Is that the one we're still looking to try? Uh, there's uh, there's eighteen seventy. We do not have. Ah. Okay. That's that was the one that was the original fl- version that they had. We have the eighteen ninety seven 
and the 1920, but we do not have the 1910. Okay, right. Yeah, so yeah. there's two of them we don't have. I was thinking uh, we had three of the four. But yeah, no, we, it's yeah. two that we've had. That's okay. right. Uh, of course, there are other lines. Old Forester's got a large, diverse well, actually, we line. we have had three, because you include the Old Forester signature. That's correct. Yeah, yes. which, like I said, it, they have, they have a, a, the diversity of of flavors, for lack of a better term, oh, under, yes, that, that was, under that brand. Well, we were looking at Mictors, and there were, what, a dozen bottles yeah, on the all of bourbon? That really struck me as how I many didn't realize how diversified that was on yeah. different things. Yeah, a lot of that also included rye. Well, sure. I mean, that's... And, uh, yeah, when you were talking just straight rye, rye whiskeys yeah. in there, which it's is fine, because it's still, you know, from the Kentucky you know, distillers. You know, and exactly. Branding is a big thing. And this kind of... And we can circle back to... Uh, writing on this because ultimately when you're writing or when you're making bourbon you're selling a brand yeah. you have to be able to sell your own brand and in the case of a writer it's their own person it's it's their own uh thing i mean stephen king is his own brand yeah well yeah because he has a particular voice and that's you know that's part a uh, huge part of the brand yeah yeah, and I think that there's value in that. I think we, uh, if you want to be successful in, in either endeavor, whether it be making bourbon or writing, you have to cultivate that brand. In fact, if you go, and this is one of the things that I'm learning as I'm getting to the point where I can start querying agents for my books, you have to be able to have a personal brand as an author. Uh, therefore, you have to have a social media presence. And you don't have... And the more I read about it, the more... And there's a diversity of opinion, of course. But as a general rule, you need to be in two places whatever those two places are online. And Facebook is probably not one of them, actually. No, that's Facebook very is fine for it's, advertising, it's but not localized. For that's correct. Well, and, I don't know so much as localized, but it's one of those things that's very difficult to build a big audience on. It's great for advertising because you can really drill into the demographics. Well, that's correct. That's, that's but, another... Yeah, because a lot of people, they do Facebook ads and they do Amazon ads, and those are, that's where they spend all their money. Right. Uh, as far as advertising goes. But, you know, it, it's kind of thing where, um, you're right, there, there is a mix of opinion about whether or not you have to have a pre-built audience. Because most, most of them will tell you, no, you don't need a pre-built audience. However, it's a really good idea if you have a pre-built something that shows you're up there. Yeah, you, you, you have to yeah. have a presence. Yeah. Bernard Cornwell and Brad Thor are fairly active on Facebook. They are. That is correct. That's but right. also, you know, they're at the point where do they even need to be active on Facebook anymore? Yeah. Yeah. They like interacting with their fans. Right. It's a place for them to interact. And that's really what the platform is for, is right. interacting with the fans. Now, it can be two-way, like on Facebook. Right. Or it could be one way, you know, blog without comments. Because actually, a lot of the things will tell you, don't put comments on your blog. Don't put Not for a writer. Right. Yeah. Because you'll spend way too, well, once you get to a certain size, you'll spend way too much time trying to manage the comments. And nobody needs that. Right. Instagram is pretty popular. Uh, TikTok's even out there. Yes, there is things. a book talk uh, right. part of TikTok. But as a general rule, if you, if, to succeed, to win, to reach your, uh, you know, the desired apex of, if you can find yourself on Goodreads and BookBub. Yes. Then you I have, have that's, I'm huge on, on being those big are the, fans of those. Those are the two places where you want your books to be. Yes. And, and uh, there are others that are out there that you, you can't just walk into that and get those. No, but you have a little bit more, uh, not necessarily control, but you have a little bit more personal ability to use those than you do other things. That is that's correct. And because like I said, they have a built-in uh, infrastructure for helping you promote your books. Exactly. And, and, you, know, and you can use them as advertising platforms to help you get into the more organic 
portion of those. Mm -hmm. You know, because you get uh, to be one of the featured books in either BookBug or Goodreads, you've got it made. That, that's correct. Yeah, and traditional publishing knows that they, they're yes. going to they're going to tie you into that. That's that's the that's the thing that's going to happen. Well, but the thing I like about those two platforms, uh, before we get back to Martin's question about dialogue, uh, is that uh, it's a great tool for those who do choose to go uh, either hybrid, which is both traditional and self-published, or just self-published at all, because it, it, it's very much a democratic platform in that respect. It doesn't care. Where the book is from? No, if and it's if it's, if it's good and you can get it in there, and you can't just walk in and do it, but you if you can find your way to get become part of that, in uh, people will see there. You know, you can use like I said, you use that as an advertising platform. That's not entirely, uh, for lack of a better word, editorially driven. Right. So, but you know, if you can get picked as one of the featured books, which is more editorially driven. Yeah. But you know, if you use it to to, to get your name and your book out there. You know, that's how you get to well, that it also point. Well, t- it also, it, it vets you to a certain degree yes. of professionalism saying, you know, this is not a hack. I hate to use that word. But well, I, I hate that word entirely because, yeah. you know, you, you and I differ greatly on this. Yeah. Uh, and that's partially uh, uh, differences in how we've approached certain things elsewhere in life. Uh, I tend to be more entrepreneurially minded in a lot of things, even though I've not uh, done stuff on my own for quite some time. Uh, I'm much more... Uh, not necessarily forgiving as a better word, but much more sympathetic right. to those who are willing to go out and be their own publisher. Because sure. today, being your own publisher does not mean you're paying to print up a thousand books that you hope somebody will then buy from you. That's not how it works. No, that, those are vanity publishers and those are scams and you've got to be yes. real careful about those. You should never pay anybody other than the cost of printing a book if you want to do it yourself. Right. But, even th- but that's it. You should never pay anybody a fee to print and distribute your yes, book. Yes, caveat emptor, folks, because they are yes. they are everywhere. They will um, once you once the word gets out that you've written a book, they will be all over your butt. Yes. To try for the self-published person, the best thing that ever happened really is Amazon, because you can put your book on Amazon digitally for free, yep. and they will create physical copies, but you only pay for the copy that gets printed and shipped. Yeah, on demand, and that is the way to go. And everything I've seen. Uh, so one of the things that uh, we, I want to talk about today was uh, "Kick-Ass Writer" by Chuck Wendig. Right. He's big on hybrid publishing, meaning you do both. Do both. Okay. Do both. Right. Because everybody who makes a lot of money, they do both. Even Stephen King does both. Sure. He has self-published. Right. Yeah. Now, that's, granted, that's for, something... Stephen, for Stephen King, self-publishing is is kind of a well. Stephen King, they're still going to buy it. But, but Aren't those his recent things that he's done? Um, like, he's done some crime actually, novels. He has, yes, he's done some crime no- He's done. He's one of the few authors that has crossed multiple genres. Yeah. yeah. Uh, most well, authors will tell you... Because he has a brand. ...with a genre. <laughs> yeah. Well, and he started out with the horror. That's correct. That's all he did. He's thought of as a horror guy, but he's yeah. done many things. But he doesn't even do straight horror. He's never really been a monster writer. Yeah. Uh, he's been psychological horror, supernatural horror. You know, he's my ideal... As far as that goes, yeah. Well, yeah. The, when it comes to craft, you know, there's no oh doubt. That, no doubt, his craft. king of craft. Yes. That's king great. of craft. But I do want to circle back. to Yes, Mark's let's go back to the dialogue. Oh, yeah, because we're at fifty-four, so let's let's. Yeah, and, I, and I, there's still a ton of stuff that I, I still wanted to even talk about. I know. We're, let's rock and roll right on this. But, so tell dialogue. Me, tell me about dialogue. Well, for one thing, I do want to differentiate between dialogue and voice. Yeah. It's very important that you do that because you have to establish, and you probably won't do it. Even your in your first draft, perhaps, 
uh, completely the voice of your individual characters. When you look on the page, when you read them, you should be able to differentiate who this person is. But that's a function of the development of character. Yeah, and it, and it takes difficult to do that. Oh, when you start out, you probably when, won't when, even when hear characters it. Characters are similar. Like cops are all going to sound like cops. Well, that's why crooks you have to make. Like that's crooks. why you so have to make hard. them have their unique voice. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's, it's an essential because otherwise, well, if, if yeah. they all sound the same, but they really don't. Because think about it this way, and this helps you differentiate the voices. Yeah. Um, the thirty-year veteran on the force is going to talk different than the rookie. Exactly. And that's, that's right. What I'm trying to do, with and, my, and you will right. having the more veteran. Uh, he's the one that swears about everything. Right. Well, and the uh, younger guy is not quite where he's comfortable, you know. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, and, and you might yeah. probably be more of an idealist. And that yeah. idealism, it should come out in his dialogue. On the on the crook side, the capo is going to talk a lot differently than the, the guy in the street selling drugs yeah. or pushing the hookers or whatever his Surprisingly, one, especially once you get that first draft done, one of the things you'll figure out when you go back through it is to how to differentiate those voices better. Because yeah. you'll have an idea of who they really are. But you know, yeah, and, and very much, that is very much true because uh, especially, well, I think anybody, even a total plotter as opposed to a total pantser, um, your idea of who the character is isn't fully formed until well into the book. That's correct. Yeah. And it morphs a little bit. I'm finding myself sharpening the differences as I go. Yes, and, and that's the kind of things you will add like to the, the main gangbanger and his boss. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I am giving them slightly different voices now when I originally was not. Yeah, I'm one of the things I want to talk about, that, that's a great one to talk about because um, one of the things that comes to dialogue, there's, there's two or three things that everybody needs to remember and you're probably not going to really pick up on it to get into your second, third, fourth, and beyond drafts. Because the first one, you just need to get it down on paper. As Wendig says, finish your shit. That's right. Yeah. That's ultimately right. it. Yes, that's right. Finish your shit. And what, what he means by that is, do your first draft. Don't go back and, and you know keep editing the same damn uh, three chapters that you've done. Finish it, and then go back and edit. Because yes. very few authors keep can moving. edit as they go. Uh, Jenkins is one of the few. You, you guys know I'm a big fan of his writing in right. this. He will write a chapter or write a scene, whatever it is, and when he goes back the next day, he will edit what he's written and then go on to the next next bit. It yep. works for him. I do a little of that. It's got to be readable for me. Uh, see, I, I and that's it. It, it, I, it can't I, be. I do it can't not be like doing that now. The, it, there's there's a problem with there's a potential problem with that. Yeah. For those who are total pantsers. Which is how I approach the first half of my book. Yeah. Uh, and which is how Martin is doing his. Yes, which and you know what? I think that's that's good early. Oh yeah. Because it gets you you get you to realize, oh, I need to think about this ahead of time. I should have thought about this ahead of time. Yeah, and you, you get there and that's you need a mix. It's a way of learning by Yes, doing. it is. It is learning by doing that it. is exactly right. And your your editing it's the way I felt I had to do it. Yeah. Like, your your editing will, will give you a completely different version when you realize it because you've no, by the time you reach the end you know things yeah. that you didn't know before. Right. right. And I, I've thought about little fixes like just oh, put in the back I of your mind. I shouldn't have had this character start the conversation. I should have had a different character. 
So it can be, there's it can some be of that. Then it can I be change it a little bit, and then what it does is it gets my mind working. Through that's that's what how it's, I need to do that's how it's supposed to. So Every once in a hard. while, you'll run into yeah. a point where you realize, oh hell, I am screwed because I didn't. This this portion back here is it's wrong. wrong. Yes, yes. And the, the, that's when you yeah. stop and you go back and because you know that. You, 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 well, but for you, me, you want to finish it as is. I want to finish it because I, I would rather go go back and do the fixes all at once, and for this reason, yeah, is that and I and I discovered this uh, when I was uh, story gritting my my book, is that I can see the overarching thing as a whole. So once yeah. I go through the analysis and I've got my summary of all my scenes or chapters. Yeah. And I've got what's going on, and I got all right. Here's my inciting incident in the scene. Here's my progressive complications. Here's my crisis. Here's my resolution. Here's my uh, uh, denouement. You know, all of these pieces that go into the scene and to the whole book. I can see it at once. I can see the big hole where, uh, in this scene, these people are acting like they've never met before, but they actually met five scenes ago, and you just forgot when you were pantsing it. Oh, so well, okay. You know, you, you've got you've got a structure to that editing that makes sure you don't miss things, right? And so that I can see, oh, you know, I'm talking about this here, but really, you know, I should have had this scene moved here because they need to show up earlier in the book. Yeah, I did. I did or, a little bit of that. You know, just in general, I, I just like the big view. Now, it doesn't mean I shouldn't make notes, as I realize, oh, I screwed this up. I need to fix it because you should always make notes when you yeah, discover that see. stuff. Yeah, I, I've done a remember. little. I've done it both ways. But every once in a while, if it's a big issue, you realize I sometimes I can't if, if I keep writing as I'm going without fixing this, I'll take it someplace so far from where I really need to be that I it would be it, I, I'll well, I'll triple work yeah. to fix it. Well, that's a slightly different situation though than, than it's rare. Just, it's rare. It's it's but if you're pantsing, it's it's a it's a, yeah, it's a well, danger. Yeah, but I mean that's a slightly different situation than oh I I should go back and fix this because. I've changed the, the direction or forgotten something or whatever because you're talking about a third thing. Yeah. You're talking about taking a different direction from your current point. Yeah. Whereas I think you're talking about fixing past points, Martin. Well, or I'm, adjusting I'm, things yeah, or whatever. I mean, what, what's happening is because I'm not working continuously. Yes, and, and that's what my I'll, problem was. I'll freely admit I'm a total beginner, total amateur. I have no idea... Whether this will be any good or whether I'll even finish it, I'm gonna try. Oh, you gotta finish it. Dude. I gotta, I gotta try. I know finish where your shit. Finish your shit. That's right. <laughs> so and if it. if you do nothing other than self-publish and yeah. we buy it, at least you know, at least you can say, you know, hey, I'm I'm I'm, I'm, I'm a published novelist. Yeah, that's but, right. Uh, so, but what I'm finding is, and since I'm not working continuously, I'll have a brainstorm. Yes. And I'll be thinking about what I'm Because, well, see, you, you are I'm, working continuously. Oh, it's just some a, a part of it, when it's not physical, it's mental. Yes. I'm going, oh, you I know, are working I continuously. I know what's wrong with that. I, I needed to have it done a little differently because I can add some more tension. I yeah. can add a little more conflict. That, that's right. If I just do it this slightly different way. Right. Well, you know, and then I'll go and rewrite that one You'll piece. find that that's, a, that's actually a very late, usually a late stage uh, revelation that you find when you yeah. read back through, you realize, you know, I wasted this opportunity here to uh, to show the relationship between these characters, yeah. even though because you just it was very perfunctory exactly here. That's what, what you're doing. By, and by adding that conflict, I all you have to do characters to be more of a 
oh, you know, I need to show her as somebody who is not a Martinet. I need to show her being a boss, but being a boss for a good reason. That's right. See, and, and because you're building character, and character builds yes. come a lot of times later. And some of it is reinforcing what you've already done, but you, but it's also realizing to be consistent because yes. you might have a point. There's yes. a, there's a point where one of my characters is wounded in the first book, uh, and I was just recently rereading it, and when people come in to help him, it's kind of very perfunctory. I'm thinking, no. If she loves him and he's wounded, she's going to change the... Well, no, that's not her. She doesn't freak. Well, but she's, she, she's going to hold him in her lap while they're while they're waiting, and yeah. she's soothing him while he's in pain. That's the sort of characterization that you build, and it, you're taking something that is very perfunctory. You know, you've got to get from point A to point B, but you're, you're retooling it in such a way where it also reflects yeah. not builds necessarily yeah. but reflects character because this is you know fairly in, in the way yeah so and that gives a consistency throughout the book see, that me, people go for that's polishing I think that, well that's, that's a, correct that's, that's a, a different, different level than, than i'm way know, late in that to me that, that's way up here polishing yeah my hands are above my head audience that's exactly uh, right you know as opposed to what we were talking about initially on this, what started the whole editing discussion, because I still have points I want to make about your, your dialogue right, question. Right, right. Um, so there's, there's structural editing, yes, which is generally what you're going to do after you've written your first draft. Now, like I said, some people can do that during the first draft. Uh-huh. I don't like it, um, especially if I'm spending a lot of time away from it. Because that's when you're really going to screw it up. Because that's what happened to me. I was not in my first half of the book. Yeah. I had huge blocks of time where I just wasn't able to, to sit with that. And that's where most of my problems come. Once I was getting the daily work in or the several times a week work in, everything flowed much smoother. Yeah. Well, and what I'm finding is if I, because of the enforced breaks, if I go back and fiddle, it gets me... Well, well yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because something new there are several new. highly respected authors, that's their modus operandi, is when they sit down to write something new, they go back and reread the chapter they were the day before or the scene I before. Think, I think most writers will most probably writers, do to that. To try and get themselves yeah. back to Jeez, where... Because, I mean, that's just, that's just natural to... Uh, you know. yeah, otherwise, you're very disjointed. Yeah. But I and that's also, harder to fix. I am also finding myself doing a little bit what you're talking about. I'll know a scene doesn't quite work, like there's something a little bit wrong with it, but I don't know how to fix it yet, so I just leave it. Absolutely. Right. And absolutely, that's what keep, you keep, keep on rolling. That's yeah, right. Going, that's don't right. fret over this one like piece said, that doesn't Unless work. you think it is, a, it is a foundationally structural issue that will F you down the road, yeah. no, you don't bother with it. Well, and even then, see, sense. again, I, there's no hard and fast rules. I, I, that's I right. challenge that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, because your statement was very dogmatic. And, and uh, it was, uh, yeah, it's because and, and, I, fa- I found it to be true myself. But, yeah. but that's Many what works don't. for you. That is right. And that's what I want, want to make sure that our listeners yeah. understand. There are very few dogmatic rules about how you go about writing. And that's For you, if you have to go back and fix that, because cause the way I look at it is this. Well, that's my CDO. <laughs> that's well, part of it. Well, that's, uh, you know, I've got that too. Yeah. But the, to me, but part of my CDO is i got to get this done. Move yeah. on to the next well, thing. See, that's right. It's, yeah. But it's all to me, above. that whole statement about if you don't fix this, it's going to screw you later down the road. Because your thing was, if you don't fix it now. Well, to me, that doesn't matter because it's in the past. Literally, it's in the past of the book and it's in the past of you. Hold on. In the past of you. Yeah. And if you know, all right, this is wrong. i got to have this changed. 
to me, and again, this is what works for me. If that works for you, that's fine. But the, the for difference, me, the difference would be in. I'm speaking of the first book. It had a historical framework. I had to, I, which I had. That's to, methodology, though. I had to adhere that's, to that. Well, yes, but um, you had a lot of that that historical framework. Uh, basically, the 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 verbiage, the exposition, exposition of dump. Uh, in, oh yeah, in a lot in, of places. In that first draft. Yeah, that was methodology. That yeah, that's, that's, that's that wasn't how... necessarily you know I have to fix this because you know. Uh, you know, John is secretly gay, and he, that that has to come out. You know, because you know that's an entirely different kind of. Obviously, that's not. The no, case. he's not. No, that, he's, he's not. He's a raging he, heterosexual. But that is the kind of thing, though, that is a huge structural issue that you can change how you write the character, the seat, whatever, from the point you realize, oh, that needs to be fixed. Without it, you don't have. Because I guess what I'm trying to say is, your point was me. If I don't fix this, it's going to screw everything up later. That's not true. It's only going to do that if you keep writing it as if this were true, the thing you want to fix. Yeah, yeah. You you make your change from... And again, this is the way I work. Oh, I see what way, you're saying. Yeah. You, you write... You presume that it's fixed. Yes, you presume and, you know uh, yeah, what you're going to fix. There you go. There you and go. you keep writing. Because if you keep writing as if this wasn't fixed... Yeah. Well, yeah, that's a dumbass move. Well, that's kind of what I'm talking about. That's yeah, why yeah. you go back and fix it. But, but, but my point is you don't have to go back and fix it. Yeah, you can just immediately. Put, put, a, put a push pin in it. Put a pin in it and, and say... I gotta fix this. I've done that many times too. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Or you'll yeah. find, uh, it, 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 this can be from big things to teeny weeny things. When you yeah. realize she's got the snot kicked out of her in chapter sixteen, well, that should kind of you know if she's been physically beaten up, those see those, you know, she should have the bruises and stuff. That should appear occasionally. You don't want to lose that. Right. Uh, for for you know, but right. but you also don't want to belabor the point either. Well, I've gone through and added in pieces, and I'm like, well, I don't need to do it that. If much. something happens to the character, yeah, and it has no effect later, you probably shouldn't have it happen. Yeah, well, absolutely, especially when it's a big thing. When you know she's got the snot right. kicked out of her. Well, and, and then it becomes you know uh, misogynistic porn. Yeah, well, and, and, and you don't want that. You don't want and, that. Yeah, because everything because you've read the scenes I'm talking yeah, yeah, about. Yeah, exactly. you know talking yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and and th- that was a very well done scene. Um, uh, so, but yeah, you know, you have to make sure that you are consistent with those things. So, yeah, that's a whole big discussion about approach to editing. Totally off. Topic. You know, we could do a whole hoop of you on editing. Absolutely, and, we, and I think we should do that. But so, to go back to your dialogue that we've been so trying the, to finish. Yeah. So, um, one of the things you were because you were talking about voice a lot. Dialogue. I want to step back. I, I, I know that's a part of what he's talking about. Wendy is talking about here with Kick-Ass Writer. He's talking about dialogue and stuff. And I, I am going to try to dig into this. So dialogue is extremely important for a lot of reasons. It's I where, go back to it's the, where to most the, of the magic happens, core. I think. Um, dialogue is what moves the story uh, more than most anything else. Now, that's not to say that, you know, Johnny pulling out his gun and, and shooting somebody doesn't move the story. Yeah, there are action scenes. Um, yeah, because there are, but the character bits. Yeah, are the in the dialogue. The revelations. Well, not just revelations. Yeah. Well, finding the, who the, the character is. Yeah. How they deal with things. A lot of that's in dialogue. It's not entirely in dialogue, but it's very important that the dialogue reflect those things. It's also important that the dialogue is natural. So this is a great example of this. Uh, I, I use this when I talk about uh, certain things uh, when it comes to writing. If you have your uh, your character say, 
well, as you know, such and such happened, and so I did this. That is exposition put in the dialogue. Yeah, bad business. And you shouldn't do that. Yeah, it's very amateurish. Uh, Because you would never say, we're sitting around here uh, having a a bull session, well, as you know, I did this back in 83. No, that's not... We don't talk that way, right? So it's very... But to a certain degree, your characters can't always talk 100% naturally the way people do because uh, a lot of times they're shorthand yeah. that won't always work in a book because right. you just you can't. But there are certain things that do, you know, that you can shortcut your shortcut, you yeah. know, to, to expanding it. Um, and if it's part of the character, if you want to establish that this character likes to summarize stuff at the end because that's how he thinks about stuff. That's how he thinks it through. Then you can do a little It's dangerous. Very dangerous. It, is, it, it depends on how you do it. it the, uh, a sentence you can get away with. Paragraphs? Hell no. Well, yeah. the, the way you... The way you, the, uh, the way I would deal with it, not the way you would deal with it, the way I would deal with something like that is actually having somebody cut the guy off when he's starting to do one of those. Yeah. That's because, like, dude, we already know this. Forget it. You know, we let's go get the bag. You know, whatever. Yeah. But... Because, yeah, yeah, that could be a trait. That's the kind of trait that you might want to make fun of. Oh, I'm glad you mentioned as that. As opposed yes, to yes, letting yes. him ramble. Because the reader already knows what he's going to summarize. Yeah. Right. Now, if it's the kind of thing where, you know, they're having a meeting about how they're going to tackle the problem. You know, like the, the stereotypical blues, uh, uh, Hill Street Blues, where they do the morning roll call. Right. I mean, that's part of when you do cop stuff. To me, when you, when you see it on TV and it's all action. Yeah, that's not really. That's not. Really no, bad. it's not. I mean, it's, Barney Miller's better. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, it's like the military. It's ninety nine percent boredom and one percent sheer howling terror. Yeah, yeah. You've got to have the cops sit around and kick this stuff around because you're not immediately going to come up with the exact right answer. Well, and, like a cop's not going to go, "Oh, well, I know who it is," and and let's go make. Well, it right. that's because the dialogue is part of the process right. of the. The solving the crime. Right. Yeah, yeah that's that's key in a in a crime novel or a mystery or a murder right. mystery or any of those sort of things. Is dialogue is usually where yeah. things are it's revealed. Problem solving. Problem, problem solving, solving is done verbally, either right. mentally, yeah, yeah. Right. thoughts. Which you like, can do that. Like or, I, I don't want to do a Sherlock Holmes, Monk, Columbo at the end, list it all out. I don't want to do that. That's kind of well, you, you are more an action. You're writing more of an action thriller yeah, it's, than it is a that, crime that, thriller. It's not a murder that, mystery. Yeah, there's value to that who done it reveal at the end. Everybody loves that. But, but that's its own. Right. It's that's its own genre. Hey, it's, it's still trouble. one of the best selling authors. Right. Right. Yeah. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to give the reader an insight on how they're figuring it out as they go. It's more of a police procedural yes. in the sense that your thing is how they go about it. Not necessarily the big reveal at the end, right? And I, I honestly, that's kind of thing there I will prefer. Be one of those, yeah, because there has to be. But it's not going to be this kind. It of... It should be something like a Sherlock Holmes, where all of the stuff is pulled out of his ass. Well, right. yeah, or right. worse, the Agatha Christie, where the the murderer is revealed the last page, the last page. Well, uh, and, and that's, and that's it. okay for her because it's expected, and it became well, a big even thing. In general, I think that can be okay if. 
the author has done a good job of leading the reader now with fits and starts. It's right. a mystery, you know. Yeah. Uh, so that when you get there, the author or the reader is not like, oh hell, I didn't see that coming at all. I got it's like, ah uh, no, 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 don't see it. Yeah. If there's well, that, then they. Then but if bad. you get it, I didn't see that. And you go, oh shit, there it is. Then you got, that's, you got a winner. See, yes. it's 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 just a genre trope, and it's and an expectation. That's where I'm, trying to go. I'm trying to hide it from the reader, leave some clues, and then have and then have it be a you'll big surprise. F- you'll figure out in your editing go, process oh. how to really polish polish that. And <laughs> yes. having having come through that, I can tell you that. Yeah, you don't want the reader to be able to guess it in the second chapter, but you don't want them to be totally. Oh, that doesn't make any sense when you get to the last chapter. Yeah. So back to dialogue, though. So dialogue, it it should move the story. It should reveal important things. It should not be pedantic and obvious. Yeah. Just like with the narration, the narrator should not state the obvious. So uh, there's a great meme going, Byron. You, you might I don't know how much you guys have seen because you know, I've seen it on Facebook. Uh, I know. Uh, Francis is not a whole lot on Facebook. Some, but not much. Yeah, and Martin is on it more than, than, than Francis. Um, and so it's how I normally write. Uh, Joe walked into the room. How I write for NaNoWriMo. Because, uh, you know, the whole point is to do 50,000 words in a month. Uh, Joe carefully considered the choice before him. He grasped the doorknob firmly, twisted it silently, and pulled very carefully on the door, peeked into the room, and decided it was safe, and carefully took two cautious steps, uh, one by one, uh, into the room. Because the whole point is, you know, to, to, to pad, pad the words. Yeah, yeah. to pad the words. You know, your dialogue and your prose can't do either one of those things. It's the, you know, as you know, syndrome, as I like to call it. Uh, Jenkins calls it with prose, you know, on-the-nose writing. The whole spelling every minuscule move out that's on-the-nose you skip the stuff both in dialogue and narration that the reader can figure out from other clues. Um, you have to have some little bits to give it some animation. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah that's, motion is, is critical in what yeah. you're doing here, but it's not step-by-step step type right, thing. Yes. Right. So yeah. I, I just kick in a little bit, you know, yeah, savor a quick sip of coffee, and then get to the dialogue. Well, and and inserting that within your dialogue actually, it fruits it out. It really makes it a much, much better... It's a beat is what it's called. And uh, your your dialogue... Now, again, this is all personal choice. Some people like to write like Hemingway. You can do this with two characters in the room with nobody else in there, batting back and forth with no tags. Boom, boom, But you know what? Even that is very dangerous. It is. Very often, it is so easy to lose track of which person is speaking. I, I, I That's why you drop in your beats where... Yeah. Well, it's not even just the... And, and the occasional dialogue tag or whatever it takes yes. you to recognize that you want to make sure... You can only do that for so long before you go back to, you know, uh, John did this or John moved his arm or who, whatever it is right. to kind of remind you of where it's at. If you have distinct voices, it's easier. It's easier, but it's it's dangerous. So. You have to be very careful. See, Hemingway could do Hemingway yeah. could do this stuff for pages upon pages upon pages upon pages. Uh, Read Fair Roll to Arms. It's back and forth between him, uh, uh, between the main character and the nurse for pages, and you never lose you well, never lose sight. Male and female, that's easier. You have two that's, men or two women in. Scene. Well, that's correct. That's right. That's, that's really difficult because it is very difficult. Because one of the things about dialogue, so you know, you're talking about uh, with crime. 
you know, you're talking about gang members in, in your right. and, and so and they've got to talk a certain way. They've got to yeah. talk a certain way. But, but they're amongst their own, and the yeah. cops are amongst their own for most of the time. Rarely do they meet. Right. Well, but so that yeah. that has nothing to do with the point I was going to make. Um, um, the tendency when you have something that distinct is again they're going to have their own language, their own accents, most likely. Yeah. Because unfortunately, most gangs tend to be some type of ethnicity based you know yeah. the Crips and the Bloods are not a mix of every ethnic right. and group and that's hard to bring through on the page but the thing is accent, but, but you shouldn't yeah you have to be very careful with that because it comes off if you try and write an accent or use too much slang it's very difficult to make that not condescending or sounding false because that's yeah. not how you speak Right. It's very difficult. So, like, people who try to write southern accents into their it's, it's into their uh, words almost always fail. Yeah, because they will do this exaggerated... Just uh, talk. Uh, you know, this yeah. exaggerated way of saying a particular thing. And that's, whether that's a southern accent or the way gang members talk. Yeah. You know, you don't want to do, you know, for all African Americans, you don't want to do yo-yo-yo all the time. Right. Bullshit like that. Stereotypical stuff that, you know... Even in books and movies, when you, especially in movies, you see, you're like, ah, come on, that that sounds fake. Right, you you've got to balance it. Yeah, I'm trying to balance it with. Yeah, they shouldn't use colloquial, you know, the king's English. Right. But on the other hand, they you shouldn't kind of be establish a little bit of. There are certain terms they use. Yes, terminology is different though from accent and slang. Yeah, because there are names they call each other. There are names they call the rival gang members. And they names, will use those. They and use. there are certain names you should not use no matter what. Yeah. Because you will not get your book published. Yeah. But that's but what that's, they do. I mean, that's they have a term that they call the rival yes. uh, member. And it's always derogatory. Right. And right. They, they use that. And that's a good good way to lend authenticity yeah. you know, to, to it. Uh, without and, being over and, the top. Right. And then balancing out, well, okay, you don't need to go in like you said. They're not going to say yo-yo-yo every five seconds. Right. Cut that. Well, you, Cut that you, you can find yourself devolving into caricature very quickly. Yes, yes. and that's what... That's dangerous. That's what happens when people try to fake these yeah. uh, written accents. Yeah, it, it, I, I, we, we've all read those, I, and like we I, usually I, cringe. Yeah, yes. I've not really tried to do accent. I've just tried to do the language they use, and in my head thinking, does this sound menacing? Because these are really bad dudes. They right. should sound somewhat menacing well, that's, to the reader. Which leads is this, is this a guy you want to hang out with? F no, he's a killer. Well, that's he's a freaking that, killer. that is absolutely critical to what you're doing here because the emotion, which we've not talked about, but we, I know we're way over time. We need to finish it's up. Good we, and we can do that. Yeah. Uh, it's all about the emotion that you create within yes. your reader. Absolutely, yeah. everything. That's all that really I, matters. I'm very subtly trying to make you afraid of these. Well, that's guys. well, that's exactly what you want to do without beating them over head. Of right. course, one of the things we've talked about before. I think I brought this up because uh, that's why I, uh, I think I did because it comes to mind because it's a phrase I know from other things. Motion creates emotion. Very true. Yeah. Yes, very true. And that is something that that we talked about. Is great. Oh yes, mm-hmm. that's we we're right. talking about things. I don't know. We talked about it on the. Sure. Well, you and, I t- you and I talked yes. about it at the very for the very last scene of my first book, 
where originally I had them uh, characters sitting across the table talking. Yes, yes, that's, so that's yes. where this that's where this really came up, and it, I ended up in a rewrite deciding no, these two characters need to take a walk because yeah. he has basically run off with another woman and left her, and they're they're at odds over this. She's hurt, and he's trying to make amends, pitifully so. Because he right. does, yeah, and well, yeah, well, yeah, he's emotionally part. stunted himself. Correct. So that's right can't. because yeah. of who he is. That's but yeah, that kind of conversation sitting across from each other at a table, it's hard to create motion except through the words, and that's quickly can get into a caricature, or you have to start doing things like using dialogue tags besides said and ask. Right. Um, Whereas in the rewrite, it changed everything. Yeah, it changed it's everything. It's much easier to make you know, reference to movement. Well, that's right. actually moving. Well, that's right, because you know he was able to, you know, she was able to uh, leave him where he is and move on because she's crying because of what he's made her feel. And he has to run up and put himself in front of her and bend down and look her in the face and all those different things like that that you're going on. And, yeah. and when when she when he yeah. asks her to do you know to try not to hate, you know, she looks up into the leaves says, "Yeah, wouldn't that be nice?" Things like that. Yeah. That I try to keep a lot of those little things that I found that very valuable from you guys. Little things, lighting cigarettes. That's right. Absolutely. Little, I mean, just little. The guy doesn't have to do a lot. You don't have to. You don't have to like. He got. He picked up his lighter. Uh, you know, took three tries, or you know, you don't have to do any of that. Just, no, very brief. You know, you just the scrape of the wheel on the lighter and lights lights up cigarette, and then they're talking again. Well, even that probably little, is, is little, but yeah, just little. But but keep it short. Yeah, keep it quick. And I found that very valuable. It's been very helpful in getting me flowing as I. Yeah. yeah, motion and emotion so, are big. Yeah, uh, and one one last thing. Uh, it's a real picture in your head for the reader. Exactly. You could actually picture this guy when I talk about his dreadlocks and swaying his shoulders and lighting a cigarette. But I've got that spread out over a whole chapter. Yeah. These little hints about him. And well, you should do something menacing, really, not just hints. At yeah, it. and find myself really. This is a picture. You see this guy in your head. Now. Well, that goes so, back to the showing versus telling. Yeah. So yeah, and, and this is something that uh, uh, I love this example uh, that I got from, from again from Jenkins because I've, I've read and watched so many of his videos. Uh, he was talking with his editor about a particular character in her book, and you know the, he described the, the character as you know, uh, you know I don't remember exactly. This is a typical nerd, computer nerd, or something mm-hmm. like that. And the editor editor comes back and is like, well, you know, you need to that needs to be more. You know, you need to say, you know, he was uh, uh, tall and gangly and, or whatever, and you know, uh, with greasy hair and and a pair of glasses held together with a, a band aid and you know stuff like that. He's like, well, if that's what you think it should be, that means you've already seen it in your head. I don't need to say it anymore. So that's a great, you know. Right. Yeah. You Assuming think, that's what he wanted him to say. Well, does but see now that's one of Jenkins' things, is that you need to let let the reader see what the reader wants to see. Exactly. He calls it engaging the theater of the reader's mind. Yeah. yeah that's absolutely. Been, that's been an awesome hint from you guys as well. Again, little hints, little images. Not big ones. Because it's and very rare. Picture the guy the rest of the way. Yeah. In your head. It's very rare that you need the reader to have a very exacting picture yeah. of something. 
Uh, the actual crime scene? Yes, you probably need a very exact picture of that. Your main female protagonist yep. has very specific features you must give. Yeah. Yeah. Right? But for the most part, most people and places, you can just give a very one or two word description and people will fill in the rest of it. Tall, short, brown hair, black hair, whatever, and that's about it. Well, you don't even necessarily need to do that. No, because hair color doesn't necessarily matter. And you don't even have to say they're tall. Because you can talk about how, how important the character is. They moved across the room in two paces, or you know, in, in two short strides. Two strides, they're there. Or the character they're, they're going somewhere with has to practically run to keep up with them. That implies that the other character has t- is tall and has long legs. So even descriptions like that, you can work into the narrative of the story with motion. Yeah, without having to be overt. Yeah, that's I, the win if you can get it. Yes, is to keep from being overt. Yeah, that's right. In my head as well, that I found that very valuable from you guys as well. Just keep the descriptions minimal. Uh, I mean, you Gritty you, beard, you may ball, you may whatever, write them out the first time, just, but when you edit, you you realize not nope, cut uh, that out. So really, that's where that works. Draw you a complete picture of what this guy looks like. Let's let you have it in your mind. He played high school football. That means he probably looks a certain way. Yep. Yeah, and, and if go. he played high school football twenty years ago, that probably means he looks differently than he. You know, yeah. he's probably got a big gut now, and you know, yeah. people are going to have a picture. Yeah, you know, think you know, former high school that, football player twenty years down the road, they're not going to think. Yeah. you know, you know, uh, male model kind of yeah. physique. Let let or let the reader see building. who they want to see a little bit, exactly because it gives them some buy into that person anyway. It makes it very personal when yes. you think of. Who that when you imagine that person off of that one hint, then it's it, it gives you buy into that character. One of the things that is so important with that engaging the theater of the reader's mind is that it gives them ownership of the story with you. It's your story, yeah. But when they read it, they become part of it. It's like when you uh, so we've all done theater. It's like when you have a script. The author wrote that script. He's got something very specific in mind, but when you put the play on, yeah, it you know the actors and the audience will interpret that a little bit differently. They'll see things or they'll play the character differently, uh, somewhat necessarily, because you know it's got to work with their their temperament as well. So you can't dictate everything for the reader. If you do, the reader is going to get bored very quickly. Yes. So one last thing. Yes, excellent. So, uh, oh, actually, a couple of last things. So, uh, for those who who want to write, definitely pick up on writing. Uh, you know, that's by Stephen, by Stephen King. King. By Stephen King. Wait a minute. Um, Let's see here. That is such a, a great book. It's not a whole lot on the actual mechanics of writing, so much as it is. Uh, it's a little bit autobiographical. Yeah. It, it's a uh, memoir. Yeah. Uh, yes, his a memoir of the craft, Stephen King on writing. And you know, he talks a lot about his processes and what have you. I think anything you can find that gives you an insight into another author's approach is valuable. And then the other book, again, I got those for you guys, and then I also got us all copies of Kick-Ass Writer by mm-hmm. Chuck Wendig. That's right. Wendig, uh, he's done some Star Wars novels and a bunch of other things. He's apparently very famous. You know, but yeah, I only and once I started saying, oh yes, I've heard of this, and you know. But these, it's very funny. I also recommend you get the audiobook version because he's hilarious. Uh, you know, when he actually does it verbally, it, it's even better. But 
Um, you know, there's so much. But the most important thing he says, finish your shit. Finish what you start. That's right. There's no more important... Other than sit down and actually put your fingers on the, the keyboard, the next yeah. best advice yeah. is finish yeah. your shit. So, let I'll me ask this, this one, one here real quick. To yeah, start. yeah. Show me what the donkey smells like. Yes! That's what we were just talking about. Those little hints. You don't have to overdo it, but just a little hint. Yes. About what's going on. Uh, that's just, at random, putting my thumb in the book. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, one of the ways that you can approach awesome. this book is to read the whole thing straight through. But then also just pick it up and do a bit of Lexio Divino. Yes, very much so. Uh, which is just basically, that's where you take scripture and you open it up to any particular page and you read and you contemplate. Well, the same thing with this. You open up to any particular page and, you know, you just pick one and, like, here's one. Prepare yourself for the high-octane energy drink enema. He's talking about ways to defeat writer's block. Oh. Yeah. Uh, he says, I'm not actually recommending an energy drink enema, just so we're clear. I will not be held liable for embarrassing x-rays that make it onto the internet. You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's, but you know what? That's being adding character and flavor to a non-fiction book uh, in, in a very creative way. Right, the sense of humor. Right. Uh, no talk, talking about writing is not the same as writing. You know, we, we oh, talked about hey, that. Oh, amen about that. Yeah, we've talked about this this entire hour and a half. But it's not writing. Mm-hmm. It's creative because it's free-flowing. But it's not the same as writing. Sure. Speaking of which... One last question. Why? Why are you writing? Compelled. Mm. Yes. I I think it is a truism for most writers, whether they recognize it at the beginning or not, all writers have a compulsion to sit down in front and create. As King says, writers write. Writers write. You have the ability, you have a desire to create. I think this goes back to our given to us by our creator that's one of our greatest strengths is we as humans have the ability to build and so now we're getting those eternal questions part of that's the right. show <laughs> the desire to create something in fact we are not fulfilled unless we find a way to create something otherwise it is a joke uh, to go back to uh, Alan Moore God it's a very me. drab and dreary existence when you can't create something. And I don't necessarily mean writing or art. Well, Just even having kids and raising well, that's up correct. a family you know, that's, is that's, an act of the, creation. The, the desire to be a parent is the same thing. It yes. is, we all have that desire. And, if, and without that desire being pursued, we have a tendency to fall into issues like addictions and distractions well, and all sorts of things like that. Also narcissism, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah, there's because a, the There's a gravitational pull towards that. Yeah. That you have to do. Uh, so, uh, since I'm the captain, I will do mine last. Martin, why do you why do you write? What what's in it for you here? I want to why? prove to myself that I can do it. Nothing wrong with that, absolutely. Not at all. That's right. I, yeah, I long wanted to, I mean even go back to high school and I never really kind of got the juice going. And now I've got the juice going, and if it never goes anywhere, and if maybe if I self-publish, or no one ever reads it besides you guys, or even if you all don't read it, at least I proved. I guarantee my, we'll read it. Yeah, we'll read it. I proved to we'll myself I we'll could do it, and what I have found afterwards is I enjoy it. Yes. Because it's me. It's it's yeah. all about me. It's, Nobody gets I'm to not tell you how to do it. Phone. That's right. I don't have to hear about somebody's life story when they couldn't decide what to click on. And it's just 
Or how they were afraid it was going to break if they clicked the wrong thing. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> uh, well, I've got this message here that says, click here to fix OneDrive. Well, then freaking click it and leave me alone. Right. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, that, I think that's it's, a great point. I think a lot of just, authors would so, agree with that. So me and so myself. And it's not like I'm sitting change to the desk. Hell, I'll get up and, you know, change my... Spotify or my Sirius XM channel and play with the dog or I gotta take the dog or whatever but I'm just it's me and everybody leaves me alone and I just sit and do it and just have a little fun and it's fun to make up words coming out of someone else's mouth yeah uh, that's great so that that is the the curmudgeon writer because that's essentially the writer's version of hey you kids get off my uh, lawn yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, which is you know writers need that it's very difficult. Even when writers collaborate, they very rarely are going to sit in the same room and decide which word comes next. Yeah. They trade chapters back and forth. Yeah. They trade scenes back and forth. Right. And, and to be a really successful author is a collaborative process. You've got to work with an editor yes. who's going to fix your screw-ups and, and, and draw you out as a reader would, you know, as, as the persona of the reader saying, this is a hold you got to bring, yeah, well, draw out. The very act of writing is a collaboration with the reader. That's what I was talking about when you engage the reader's yeah. imagination. Mm-hmm. So, but that's great. It's fun that as you go along, it's just all about me. Yeah, 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 I get that. So, for me, the why comes down, it's similar to what Francis was talking about, but I phrase it a little bit differently. And for me, it's because I feel like I am a storyteller. Yeah. Now, obviously, you say, well, of course, if you're a writer, you're a storyteller. It's like, no, that's not exactly the same right, thing. Right, yes. Because uh, you can tell a story in a lot of different ways. Yeah. Uh, you know, in uh, one of the ways that I see myself as a storyteller is that when I do artistic pieces, I have a story in mind behind that piece. Of course, yes. Uh, it's not just, yeah, I mean, unless it's just, you know, if it's a character sketch, that's one thing. But even so, I've probably got a background for that particular shot. And to me, you know, being a storyteller is very much, uh, as Francis said, it's a creative process. Uh, it, it, it's, but it's also uh, collaborative, as we just talked about with you, Martin. It's collaborative with others in the sense that you want to, them to experience what you have created. Yeah. If you only write for yourself, well, that's fine. But I think you're missing out. Yes. Because uh, the whole idea, it, you know, it's not just to have written, but it's to be read. Yes, for somebody else to validate you and say, this is good. Whether, yeah, ultimately, yes, that is the preference. Yeah, that's the preference. <laughs> but if they've read it and they've had a reaction to it, yeah. sometimes that's just as important. Because uh-huh. some things you write, people are going to say, oh, well, that's stupid. Well, okay, that's fine. That's your opinion. Why? Because it goes back to what we do here. I want to know the why. Yeah, that's right. When we talk about stuff here, why is so important. Yeah. And, and part of that is hard for me. I'm not wired in that same creative way. Um, I'm more of a... My hemispheres don't talk <laughs> quite as much. Because I'm not as creative as you guys are. Uh, especially Robert. Um, so, so it becomes more of a prove it. Yeah, yeah. Again, it, it is about an accomplishment that I've long wanted to try that I'm not sure I have the stamina for, but I'm going to try. Well, you know, I think the creative aspect 
you know, it's part and parcel of who man is. We're the only animals that tell stories that we are aware of. Um, but you know, when you think about how in how much this is part of our core beings, you think about being a kid and playing. You know, when you play make believe, you know, cops and robbers or cowboys and Indians or whatever. That's storytelling, living it out. Yeah. yeah. So it's part of our nature. That's why some authors, you know, that you know, they say, well, you know, this is so foreign to me. Or some people say this whole thing is foreign to me. It's not. You're just not looking at it the right way. And so we all, and that's why readers, people who are real readers, they recognize this. I think most people want to write. They're readers first. Yeah. Whether it's fiction or not, yeah. Yeah. You know, you can't, and you can't be a, a writer, I think, without reading. That's the other thing King says. Writers write, but writers also read. That's right. You've got to read your stuff. You've got to read other people's, I mean, your stuff is in your genre. you got to read other genres. you got to read nonfiction. you got to read short stories. you got to read articles. you got to read current events. All of these things will help spark that creativity. And to me, that creativity is the important part. You know, we all work in, in uh, well, you know, Martin and I work in very non-creative things. Problem solving, it, but things. we make it problem yeah. creative because of how we approach the problem solving. Yeah, and, and that's, that's how I take my creativity out of my work. But it's not enough. Yeah. Now your job now, it's a little bit more creative than, than the ones you've had in the past. That's correct. You get to decide yes. how we're going to approach this and how we're going to serve this and how we're going to create this and make it work and be very efficient with it. Yes, yeah, so, I mean you choose how things are presented, you know, information, how things Absolutely. are Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, yours is is far more creative uh, than jobs you've had in the past, which I I, I applaud you sir for well, being able to, finally, to do that. Finally got there. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, as we all know, I mean we've all had various jobs, well, except for Martin, he's had like two jobs his entire life. <laughs> That's true. It's <laughs> very fortunate to uh, you know to to have found something that grew on me. Yeah, that gave me a sense of service um, for something important. Yeah, yeah. That, that I, you know, aside from the griping about again, so I won't click somewhere, but the people I serve are doing an important function in society, and helping them do it better and and quicker has meaning. Right. And and I respect them a great deal. And, you know, I think writing is, is similar. We need to, to wrap this up. But I see writing not just as something that's personally satisfying, but as potentially life-changing for others. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. You I know? mean, how many books have you read? It's like, wow, this has knocked me over. And I love exactly. It. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons why I write fiction as well as nonfiction. Yeah. Is that, you know, my approach to book. Now, granted, I take the approach to fiction as a narrative nonfiction, so there's a bit of storytelling in that as well. But hopefully... You know, you're, you're dealing with themes and ideas that can be, doesn't have to be, but can be profound, can be life-changing for somebody, even if it's only one person. Hell, even if it's only you. Yeah. Because the act of writing is often, is often how we work through our yeah. own issues. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And own, yeah. uh, you know, mind-expanding things. Gregory McDonald's Fletch series changed my outlook, changed my sense of humor, changed a lot of, like... Who I am and what I do, yeah. Being introduced to PJ O'Rourke. Yeah, PJ changed, yeah. you know, who I was and my outlook and my the way I process and, and reflect information and things. So, yeah, yeah. So this lasted twice as long as I thought it would. Well, well it always I, does. We, um, one last, actually, one last thing, because I, I think this is important just as a, a little bit of insight. Favorite author? 
Oh, that's one of those things. Is like favorite author right this minute. It's like favorite bourbon right this minute. And that's that's appropriate. Yeah, that because that's what I told Sam at the Fraser. It's like, well, right this minute, my favorite, my go-to is. Um, uh, right now, my favorite nonfiction is Candace Millard. Yes, just yes, we've talked her, about her many times. Yeah, Professor Millard's. I just finished her fourth book, and then nonfiction. Been through Shara and Brad Thor, but you mean fiction? Yeah, uh, correct. I'm sorry. Fix my current fiction. I still love uh, Gregory McDonald and the flat stuff. Yeah. Um, I'm also kind of. I'm, I'm Carl Hyacin. Uh, a, a kind of a cop procedural writer uh, from South Florida is influencing my current stuff, what I'm doing uh, with my book. So I like his stuff a lot, too. Sure. So, Francis, what about you? Uh, try to boil it down to just really just a handful, I suppose. I mean, Hemingway is still a giant. I knew he was going to say Papa. Yeah, you have to start with Hemingway. He's so much of the of the craft and the way he writes, and to be able to work to that, that's certainly one of them. Uh, Daniel Silva is the one that really fits my genre right now, and I've been reading a lot of his Gabriel Allon series. Yeah, I, that's one I've been meaning he to get to, to try. Excellent, excellent. But I just haven't done it yet. Yeah, he is definitely worth is he your time. Kind of that Vince Flynn. Similar. Sort that's of correct. Thing. Yeah, that's right. Yes, uh, uh, it's it's very. I, I can't speak highly enough of him. He's kind of a guy that, if you ask me. In, in my query letters, if you say, what are my books most similar to, I would put myself, because Vince Flynn is more action, whereas, whereas Silva is certainly more action, espionage, craft, finding your way. It's, it's, just, it's just a different type of approach. It's not, sure. it's not shoot them up. And I don't want that. It's 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 got that it's got that human element to it. And Silva's master at that. Yeah. So, do you have a favorite nonfiction? Uh, no, I'll pass on that. I don't know that I could pick one up right off the top. Interesting. Of okay. Yeah. So uh, maybe give it some more thought, but no. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'll I'll do it with nonfiction first, since I since I just asked you that. Uh, Scott Hahn. Uh, oh yeah. Theology right. writer. Uh-huh. Uh, Catholic theology writer. Convert to the faith, like myself. Um, yeah, although I'm not nearly as brilliant when it comes so to that as he is. Pardon? So is Zealot. Yeah, so is Zealot, yes. <laughs> oh, yes, very much so. Uh, but he's just a phenomenal writer. Yeah. Uh, oh, you, you've talked about him. Yeah, he, he, he's phenomenal at taking the complex. To, yeah. um, and honestly, if I were to pick a second one, I'd pick Pope Benedict. Uh, he is phenomenal in the sense of all the meaning he could pack into a single paragraph yeah, or a single he's, sentence. Yeah, he's very good. Rescu- uh, I can't pronounce it. Rescu- Rescu- and Pacham. Rescue out in Pachium. Yes, it's yes, Pachium. Rest in peace. Um, so, yes, uh, Pope Benedict just passed this past Saturday while we were uh, uh, getting ready to, to head out on our day because he That's passed right. before we were probably away. Yeah, that very morning. A um, lot of people have passed recently. Uh, mm-hmm. Pele passed. Uh, Did not know Walters. that. Barbara Did not, Walters didn't passed. Catch that? Yeah. Uh, a punk icon that probably most of our people would not recognize. A, uh, but uh, several comic author uh, uh, artists have, have died recently. Neil Adams, Tom Palmer, uh-huh. uh, several others that I can't even think of off the top of my head. There's been so many I've been meaning to bring up, and we, we've not been able to. But uh, but anyways, uh, Scott Hahn and Joseph Ratzinger slash Pope Benedict, uh, probably for the nonfiction. Fiction, uh, obviously King has a special place in my heart, uh, but also David Weber for the universe he created with Honor Harrington. But specifically just to honor Harrington, because he needs an editor. (laughs) 
He's one of those guys that really needs an editor, I'm finding, and I go back and reread some of his stuff, but I still love him for the universe and the characters he created. But those two, yes. Uh, so great stuff. So we've talked about way too much stuff. We've gone almost, uh, more, almost more than twice as long as we should have. Francis Bunny! What's next? What's next? Yeah, what's next? Oh, well, uh, well, total complete change of subject. New subject, totally new subject. We're going to someplace we've never been, sort of. We're going to go back to history. We're going to go very hard history, actually. Charlemagne. Ah, yeah. Well, we're going to talk about Charlemagne. Yeah, the year 800. Charlemagne, the great, Charles the Great. Uh, so much of what we know and so much of where we have come as a species, uh, he uh, he's one of the greats. I mean, he, he deserves that title that he's given. That's not yes, given to Western easily. civilization totally changed because of him. That's correct. And it's, it's hard. You know, he's one of those linchpin moments where everything became better because of, uh, even though he's a complex character, we'll talk all yeah, about that yeah. next time. Uh, so enjoy this one. Hope you enjoyed another pointless discussion of eternal questions. Remember, new episodes drop every second and fourth Friday at 6 a.m. Eastern. Spread the word. We're on all the major podcast platforms. And leave us a review. That helps others find us. We're on Instagram, Twitter, as well as our website, snakesandotters.com. I'm Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Join us next time.